Praise the Lord. Um, today, unplanned, we are in part two of our series Q&A, question and answers. Unplanned because we did not plan for it to be a series, but apparently it's turned out to be. It could be a two-part series. Um, by the end of this um, service, we would know if it is or not. Now, last week was, was very, very powerful and liberating for us, and we are totally grateful to God um, for, th- for that. We couldn't finish all the questions from last week, so we have all of them typed out nicely here um, before me. And um, today, if you still have questions, you can um, send them forward, or you can raise your hand when we ask you. But if you want to remain anonymous, you can take the slips from any of the ushers. Do we all have slips? Okay. Do you have slips? Okay, fantastic. So um, if you need extra sheets, you can write, ask the ushers, and we'll be happy to give you. And, of course, you can write your questions. So I just um, shoot and just go ahead from where we stopped last week. Um, there's a question here that says, Good morning, sir. This was an email. My first question is this. I lost money in my company, and they have been deducting it from my salary. Since then, I have reduced my tithe. Am I right or wrong by doing this? Secondly, I lent money to a friend, And she promised to return it in three days. But she did not. And she has even changed her number, her mobile line. Whenever I think of it all, or air her name, it makes me angry. I get really upset. It's a matter of forgiving and forgetting. How can I forgive her and even forget about the incident? Thank you for implementing the Q&A program because it has given us the boldness to pour out our hearts spiritually, emotionally, and physically. God bless you, sir. And the church say, Amen. Amen. Okay, the first question is, you lost money in your organization, and they've decided to, that you pay back the money, so they've decided to deduct at source and spread it over time. You know, the amount you lost. Then, you have scaled down your tithe to, <laughs> to the amount that is left. Is this right or wrong? I think that's a no-brainer. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong. It's just like someone that has taken a loan. You've taken the loan in the organization up front. You didn't tithe on the loan. You used it for Ashwebi, whatever you used it for. And obviously, that's going to reduce your take-home. Then you are asking, should you tighten on just what you receive, or should you tighten on gross? You should tighten on gross because if you are tightened on the loan, then you can tighten on what you receive. If you have tightened on the upfront, 
then you can tighten on what you receive. But if you, if you did not tighten on the upfront, then you should tighten gross. I think that's a no-brainer. Secondly, she borrowed money to a friend, and the friend did not pay back three days. <laughs> she changed her number. You know, I'm sorry that you were treated like that. People can be mean, but how do you I forgive and forget? Forgiveness is a decision. You know, don't depend on your emotion. You see, because what you have said here is that whenever you think of her, you get angry. You, so you are, you are depending on, on your emotions to guide you through this. You can't depend on your emotions. Your emotions are hurt. So choose to forgive her and release her and trust God to heal you. And let it go. That, that's it. So even when the name comes up and you want to start getting angry, you say to yourself, no, I forgive this person. I for-. So you take control of, of the situation and you just don't allow your emotions to, to, um, to stray. But having said that, what, one of the key things that you should, well, that I do, I've, I've shared this um, before, that if I cannot give you money, I won't borrow you that money. So even though if I borrow you money, I expect that you pay back. But if you don't pay back, I will not be bitter. Because the money I cannot give, I will not borrow. Uh, it's old uh, ancient wisdom. <laughs> so, and don't come borrowing money from me. Say, Pastor, okay, can I borrow some money from you? <laughs> the answer is no. Okay. Now, it says, the question here says, Pastor, please, why is it that people that don't know God and don't have the mind to use God's blessings upon their lives to help the needy or the poor seem to be the people that God gives money rather than those of us that know God (laughs) and have the hearts to help the poor? I can't understand it. Please explain. Well, I think you should say, I don't understand. Please ex- explain. Say, I can't understand. There's no explanation I can give that you understand. <laughs> the, the mistake is this. We confuse the person of Jesus with the principles of Jesus. The principles of Jesus guarantee your prosperity here on earth, whether you are a Christian or not. But the funny thing is that unbelievers are even more faithful in obeying the principles of Jesus for wealth than Christians. So we know the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus guarantees your heaven. The principles of Jesus guarantees your earth. So we know the person of Jesus. But if we don't implement the principle of Jesus, we will not get the results of obedience to God concerning prosperity. So if... You can have all the good intention in the whole world. If you don't do what you ought to do to prosper, it won't happen. What are those things? I think in thinking clearly about your finances, we, we, we dealt on that. You may want to get the, the, uh, the teaching. You can download it for free, obviously, and, and listen to it. So if you don't do the things that the Word of God says, you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, prophesying, and poor. You know the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus knew the person of Jesus 
But the rich man knew the principles of Jesus. The rich man enjoyed on earth. Lazarus was a, was a pauper. But when they died, Lazarus entered into prosperity in heaven. The rich man became a pauper in hell. So, if you must choose one, choose the person of Jesus. Because if you live long, you become, you live to be 300 years. Abi? How many people want to, how many people want to be 300 years old? Eh? But eternity is forever. But Jesus has not even told us to choose one. He hasn't told us to choose one. So we can have the two. You can love God and obey his principle for prosperity and you will prosper. Then you can now demonstrate your heart and take care of the poor. I hope that heart will still be there. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, next question here says, while standing, what if the Christians around you are not making it easy? Like they are becoming the problem. Okay, if you, you, you say if you are standing and the Christians around you are becoming the problem, that is they are um, being your stumbling block, you need to realize that everybody is going to stand before God one-on-one. You cannot say it's because this person was badly behaved. That was why... You know, or you cannot say, in fact, the excuse people, some people make is, oh, that pastor did this, or there was one pastor in uh, this place that did that. You are not going to stand before God and say, that pastor did this, so I did. No, 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 no. Everybody will stand for himself. So take your eyes off the Christians that are behaving funny. Keeping to, this is the B part of the question of this person, there are three parts. Keeping to your word. I made a promise to offer so much. Now, I want to back out. (laughs) But there is this guilt. What do I do? You made a promise to offer so much. Now you want to back out. What do you do? It depends. If you made a promise to man, you can go and negotiate with the man and say, Oga, you know, and, you know, and that's what the Bible says. If, if you have an issue with your friend, before you get to the court, sort it out in advance, you know. But if he doesn't agree, and you're a child of God, then you have to do what you have said. If it's with God, you know, the word of God is clear on that. You make a promise to God, fulfill it. Can you negotiate with God? Of course you can. I've had to negotiate with God in the past. But you see, the truth is this. If that is your habit, after a while, heaven will not take you seriously anymore. After a while, even when you speak authoritatively, you want to command demons to go, they won't take you seriously. Because you are such a person, is a double-edged, I mean, double-mounted person. Unstable, double-minded. So, don't be known for making a promise and breaking it. If you have done foolishly, you should own up to your foolishness and you should negotiate with the person and see what can um, be resolved. 
if that can be resolved. The C part of the question is, I feel I am too open when I am not talking. When I'm not talking. People around me can read and know how I feel. I don't like it. What can I do? I feel I'm too open. Even when I'm not talking, okay? People around me can read and know how I feel. I don't like it. What can I do? This person feels he or she's too open. That is, people can, even when she's not talking, they can read her easily. What can she do? Well, that is a lot of, there's a lot of behavioral changes you need to make. Um, That is, probably how you've grown up. You've grown up to assume people already know what you are thinking. Sometimes people don't know. But because you think they know, you, you let yourself out. I mean, okay, um, some, you walk into a room. You, you, maybe you took the piece of meat in the pot. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> and, and your mom looks at you like this. <laughs> at that time, maybe she's just seeing a speck on your nose. She just wants to see a speck on your nose. You say, mommy, I'm sorry. I, I took the piece of meat. Then you're worried. How come people are able to read me? So sometimes it could be an, an um, hypersensitive conscience that you think people are able to read you. But largely, nobody can read your mind. Just know that off the bat. Nobody can read your mind. Except the Holy Spirit, of course, reveals it. Nobody can read your mind. So don't go into a room thinking people can read you. Go into a room knowing that you are Secured and covered in God, nobody can read your mind. Okay. Next question. Before I read the next question, do we have questions? Okay, if we have questions, can we please pass them forward? Does anybody have questions on the floor? Anybody have questions on the floor? Okay. Great. So, pass the questions forward. Next question. How do we prepare ourselves for the ripple effect of the gay law enacted in the U.S., especially as regarding our children, do you think it will be reversed? Okay, this is a very good question. In other words, we, we said that some sins are communal. There are some sins that when the community embraces the sin, in fact, it's, it's huge, like the homosexual thing that was passed in the U.S. And some of us have children, cousins, loved ones, brothers, sisters in the U.S. The question is, how do we prepare ourselves for these ripple effects? And how do we make sure our children are not partakers of this? The answer is intercession. Intercession. When God was going to visit Sodom and and Gomorrah, Abraham interceded. He interceded for the city. It wasn't so, so, so much as in selfish or for his, for his cousin, Lot. He interceded, interceded for the city until he got to a point that he felt, okay, things are fine. But because Abraham interceded, when God was supposed to visit Sodom and Gomorrah, God removed Abraham's loved ones, Lot and his family, before destroying 
Sodom and Gomorrah. So I believe very strongly that if there's going to be any judgment on any nation, I'm not saying there will be, if there's going to be any judgment on any nation that has embraced this, I believe very strongly that God will lead us to call our brothers and our sisters to shift. I believe that. Because God is a righteous God. That is the bane of Abraham's intercession. Will the judge of the whole earth be do wrong? Will he visit iniquity of sinners on the righteous? You know, and he, 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 he leveraged on that. But having said that, I know that you can't force anybody to leave any community. Just like Lot's wife. Even if you force them to say, come and leave. And Lot's wife still looks back. They still get the judgment. But as a watchman, you have to do your bit. You have to blow the trumpet. Does that make sense? Okay. Do I think it will be reversed? I don't know. I don't think so. Because I think that darkness is going to grow darker. I I don't know if that makes sense. There's going to be gross darkness upon the earth. That's what the Bible says. It's, It's going to get darker. It's still going to get darker. You think it's dark now? It's still going to get darker. But God's glory will be upon us. Praise the name of the Lord. That's why I said, you arise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has come upon you. So light shines brighter when the darkness is darkest. So God will expect you and I to take a stand. Because nobody lights a candle and puts it under the chair. For your light to shine, you need to take a stand. Okay. Um, question, next question says, Pastor, please, I watched a revelation given by a 19-year-old boy who said that fixing attachment, weapons, wearing, oh, weave on. Maybe the person meant weave on. Not weapons. <laughs> wearing of earrings and trouser for women is a sin. Could this be true? The simple answer to that is no. It is not true. Hey, but the boy had a revelation. I wasn't there. When he had a revelation. I don't know. I don't even know him. So I cannot even authenticate what he's saying. But women wearing attachments, weavons, earrings, is it a sin? No. The problem comes when those things become your God. That is when it is a sin. What am I saying? Say, Pastor, I mean, how can it become your God? Gold can become some people's God. In fact, there's a lady that said to the guy she married that she cannot wear anything but pure gold. That her skin reacts to any dilution. I know some people may have that kind of what have you. But please wear plastic. (laughs) 
your skin will not react to plastic. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So when it becomes small letter jiggled, then it, be- it really becomes a problem. Anything that you adore becomes a problem. So when you spend two hours on your air, I'm not saying that is idolatry, but... Okay, let me, let, me give you, let me give you a story. I've shared a story before. A lady says to me, Oh, Pastor, this is the first time someone will ever say to me, I'm struggling with carnality. I mean, people in church usually want to portray an image of spirituality. Don't you know that? Even the most carnal people, they want you to think they are spiritual. So this, this lady came to me and says, I wasn't even a pastor. She said to me that I'm a very carnal person. I was like, wow, breath of fresh air. What's the issue? She says she's just very carnal. So... You, I think you are spiritual. What do you think is wrong with me? And we began to talk. Somehow, I discovered, or I asked the question, must be the Holy Spirit, that before you come to church on Sunday, how long do you take in dressing up before you come to church? She says, um, give or take about three hours. I said three hours. Three, three hours. He said, yeah. I said, so, so, how long do you take to pray? And he says, uh, God hears us. Maybe three minutes. You know, the Bible says that God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap from the spirit. You cannot be sowing cocoa yam and expect to reap purple. Do you, do you understand? So I said to her, that is where the problem is. So I said to her, how do you dress up for three hours? She says, oh, you're a guy, you don't understand. You know, I need to change to this dress. Then I need to change the hat. It doesn't match with the shoe. Then I need to turn around. And she was going through all the motions and all the... I said, wow. <laughs> I can't judge you, but if you must dress for three hours, try and pray for six hours then you see how spiritual you become. So, what am I saying? We spend a lot of time on things that don't give spiritual life. And we expect to reap spiritual life. There's nothing in the flesh that can ever produce spiritual life. Nothing. That which is born of the flesh is, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is, is spirit. Okay. Um, if a woman, if women are allowed to wear trousers, why aren't men allowed to wear hats? And I, maybe I should add skirts in church. Wear it now. Nobody will chase you away. Praise the Lord. Wear your skirts. Maybe you are competing with women. What woman, the woman can do, the man can do better. Wear your skirts. You know, sometimes we, we, just, we just focus on what is not. I've explained this last week. What is called women's clothing in one culture is not 
is what is called men's clothing in another culture. And the gospel is universal. So anything in the gospel that is not universal is a non-essential. In the essentials, we have what? Unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. In all things we show, everybody, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. In all things we show, love. So if somebody, a man, comes to church and wears this Scottish skirt, what's the name again? You guys told me last week. Kilt. And comes to church. We won't chase you away. We will put you on the front seat. You are free to wear whatever. If you wear a pack, you are fine. This is God's free house. We value flexibility. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. So guys, don't be intimidated. Wear your skirt. <laughs> Number five. Is it advisable to take a job that takes one away from fellowship of the brethren, probably for a month, something like offshore? Well, if you take a job that takes you away for a month, like offshore, if you do one month off, then you're going to do one month on. Right? So that means you have all the time in the world for fellowship. That's fine. However, if you have a job, now listen to this carefully. Because I say this because I've seen this happen repeatedly. At the expense of the spiritual life of the family. If you have a job that will take you away from fellowship perpetually, and you are not going to start fellowship wherever you are going. One, two, and you are not going to plug into fellowship wherever you are going. Don't take it. Why? Because if you do, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I've had to be on a project to Patakot um, um, years ago. Now, I actually attended a few churches in Port Harcourt, but I did not, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I'm sure you understand this. I do not feel connected to those churches. I didn't feel at home in those, they were good churches and fantastic pastors and all that. But when I go to those churches, I don't feel the juice I feel. I mean, do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's like when you're away from God's favorite house, you know, it's never the same, you know, never the same. And when I realized that, and my spiritual life was in decline, even though I was going to church on Sundays. Now, this was me. This is me. I will fly back to Lagos on the weekend, do church, fly, first flight out to Port Harcourt. I did that for one and a half years. I was paying for my pocket. When... I didn't, I couldn't afford to fly. Guess what I did? Night bus. So, Sunday nights, 
Monday morning, from the park straight to the office, we'll be smiling. I plead the blood of Jesus. <laughs> that was what I was doing. I did it for one and a half years before coming back to Lagos. So sometimes you need to protect your spiritual life because let me tell you something. Don't take what you have with God for granted. If you lose it, you will lose it in Jesus' name. Sometimes to get back to where you are, the enemy will just keep tormenting the person and making sure that never happens. Keep growing and stay connected to God. Next question. Um, since God himself hardened the heart of Pharaoh, which means he played the role God wanted him to play, in other words, he obeyed God, my question is, will Pharaoh be in heaven or go to hell? That's it. Basically, I said, will he go to hell? Um... I'm not God. I don't know the people that go to heaven. I go to heaven. Off the bat. As in, I don't decide it. But going by God's criteria that is made clear, what happened in the case of Pharaoh was this. I explained predestination and the foreknowledge of God. There are two different things last week. God had said to Abraham, your descendants will spend 400 years or 300 years in a foreign land. Then they will cry to me then I will deliver them. It was a, God foreknew it. Now, let me simplify it. God's child did wrong. And God wants to punish his child. This is my child. God wants to punish his child. God sees people that are not his children, like 10 of them, that are rebellious. They are very wicked people. God says, you people are wicked. You know where you are going already, right? God uses one of them to punish his children. And after they've punished God's children, God will say, why did you punish my child? God will now punish them. Do you understand? And the child of God will have learned his lesson and be closer to God. But that person is, is, is hell-bound anyway. Does that make sense? So, pharaohs of this world, by their decisions, the issues of this world, by their decisions, they've determined where they are going to end. God can use them to achieve his purpose in his own children. His children become stronger, become more spiritual, become closer to God. They're like school teachers. But they will end up where they're going to end up anyway. I hope that is clear. Okay. So let me take, let me test the questions that are coming in from the floor. Um, wow, it's a lot. 
Okay, so I'll just be, okay, let me just finish this. Then I'll start this. So that I don't mix it up. Next question, sir. I gave the last cash that was on me. Where did you give the last cash? I ended up walking home from the bus stop. Is my giving on the right track? It depends on where you gave your last card. If you give your last card to your landlord, and you have to walk home, but I'm assuming you gave it to a kingdom purpose. Do you? Um, is your giving on the right track? If you did that from the bus stop, honestly, from your heart, you did it with the sincerity of your heart to your God, you're giving it on the right track. I can give you personal examples. There was a particular time. You know, interestingly, we are, we are looking at, thus says the Lord, <laughs> hearing God, the voice of God. Earlier on, I told you about reading that scripture that brought the hunger to hear from God in my heart. So, earlier on in my work with God, by God's grace, hearing from God was in, very interesting, a daily part of my living. And one key thing I discovered that God always said to me was to give. I, I, I couldn't explain it. Give this. Give that. In fact, there was a time God said to me, I had some knockabout shoes and I had a special pair of shoes. You know your party shoes? The one that you only wear on special occasions. And the Holy Spirit said to me, go and sell these shoes. I was in Bagada. I was staying with my brother, Nipako, and go and give this family in Surulere the money. And I took the shoes and went to Jolegba. I was trying to sell shoes. So if somebody says, I saw your pastor selling shoes in Jolegba before. <laughs> it was me. I was trying to sell shoes. Back then, God brought a buyer. I sold it for a good price. I took the money to the family in Surulere. They were living in a duplex. They owned the house. So they didn't look like people that needed money. Some people, you are looking at them, they look like they don't need money, they, they need money. And I said to them, uh, I don't know how this means, this, may, this is very funny, but I think God wants me to give you this money. And the man was speechless. And his wife came down from downstairs and she was crying. Why? Because they just gave birth to a baby and they are out of supplies. They didn't know where they are going to get the money from. And God sent a small boy from Bagada to sell his shoes and feed that baby. Isn't God amazing? <laughs> totally amazing. For me, the joy of being available to God as an errand boy supersedes anything. I was in service one day, church service. I was in Unilag. I just collected my alawi for the term, semester. I don't know. And time to give offering. You know, you have pinched a small amount to give. I felt God say to me, 
give everything. And that I knew, I knew God's voice. Do you understand? To deny him is to, is to be in disobedience. As we learned last week on Sunday. So I said, okay, fine. So I figured that how God will sort, sort me out. I figured it out. So I gave everything. I wasn't sad because I knew in my heart that the God that said I should give everything will make sure that somebody will give me a ride home. Everybody say amen. And when I get home, they will increase my allowance. Everybody say Amen. I figured everything out. Guess what? That day, I shook everybody with a wide smile. <laughs> and everybody left one by one. I was, nobody offered to give me a ride. The church was at Newcastle Hotel, Anthony. I don't even know Newcastle Hotel. We used to stay at K2. I walked from Anthony to K2. And it be- <laughs> you are clapping. Your own is coming. <laughs> You're clapping. And, and, and it was raining. But guess what? I was joyful. I could not exp- I was just singing and dancing and singing and dancing. I got home. I didn't even know how. Then God did what only can do. I'll tell you that maybe later on. But I know this thing. It's the path to greatness. If God is taking you through it, thumbs up. Sir, are you saying that God knew about me and the path of my backsliding from him and yet he still trusts me with his plans? Yes. God knew I was going to backslide? Yes. Did my backsliding surprise God? No. And he still put me on track? Yes. And he still has a great path for me? Yes. That's why it's God. <laughs> Sir, what if I decide to give God 50% out of my salary as tithe? And my salary is not up to what we can, what can take me through the month. What should I do? Because I want to take my stand. Hey, take your stand now. <laughs> Are you threatening me? <laughs> I think this question has been answered already. Has it been answered already? Okay, so we can go on. Whenever I sit or try to rest, I always think or have so much on my mind, e.g. work, family, friends, how to move forward in life, and this thinking is driving me nuts. How do I manage this? Hashtag clear thinking. You already know what to do. Go and get that series. Clear thinking. Honestly, it will help you. It won't. The last question. Okay. Can you give him the mic? I think there might be another question behind it that he didn't speak about clear. Okay. Where is he taking his stand? Is okay. he talking about his commitment to his family? Because oh. people need clarity around that issue. Okay. I've, I've, I've had that experience where when I was serving in, in the UK and I thought everything had to be straight down the arrow without explaining, explaining. or trying to carry people okay. along or that sort okay. of thing. So sometimes when he says he wants to take his time, I'm taking his stand with his wife. <laughs> with his wife. 
Okay. Ah. Okay, I, I hear you. I mean, from a, from a wisdom perspective, two are always better than one. So when you're taking your stand, like if, you, if you're single, okay, take your stand. Oh, madam, take your stand. If you are married, what he's saying is that it's always better to carry your spouse along so that when you take your stand, you are both agreeing and you are both taking the stand. Hmm? That, sir, is the preferable thing to do. But, I've told you my story. There was a time that, you know, I know my wife. My wife has grown. She's changed totally, as in, in that area. She's even outgiving me these days. Praise God. <laughs> but back then, we were, you know, so we had one car, one real good car. Then the other one was a jalopy. And I felt God was saying to me, give this car to this person. I knew that if I drove that car home, and I said to my wife, baby, you see, we are going to give this car, <laughs> I know that World War II means that. <laughs> then, what did I do? I just gave the car away. I said, I'm going to take the heat. And I took the heat. <laughs> One day my wife woke me up at 3 a.m. Wake up! I said, baby, I want to say, wake up, my friend! I woke up. I said, sit, sit by the edge of the chair. was sitting by the edge of the chair. If your wife wakes up at 3 a.m., sit by the edge of the chair. There's fire on the mountain. <laughs> sit at the edge of the chair. So I said, I was just sleepy. I was rubbing my face. I said, what is it? He said, you will tell me today what else you want to give away. If you want to give me away, want to give the everything, just tell me. Then, after a while, she will be supporting, okay. After a while, she says that you are going to walk in this Lagos. God told you to give your car. Be, God, be walking. <laughs> Let me be seeing you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, think about it, sir. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, if he has gotten home and said, Mama Sarah, 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 God has told me. That this boy that you waited for all these your years, that should dumbo the boy. What do you think will happen in that house? Sarah will say, she will tie her dress. Say, you will kill me first. Say, you are serving a bloodthirsty God. You kill me first. Abraham did not discuss it. Why you should carry your spouse along? There are some decisions that are destiny-defining that sometimes your spouse may not understand. Pray that they understand, but if you must choose one, well, I don't know. Maybe my position will change, maybe later, I don't know. But I will still choose obeying God, regardless. Praise the Lord. But my position will not change. (laughs) In Jesus' name. (laughs) Whenever... I sit to rest. I hope that is clear, sir. You are clear. Okay. 
Whenever I see two, okay, so this, this answer is troubled mind. Da, 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 da. Stop worrying. You need to, honestly, you need to get that series and listen to it. Stop worrying. You're worrying. This person, we say, I'm, I'm thinking about my future. No, no, no. You're worrying about your future. That is the time to sleep. If you cannot sleep, the time to sleep, you are worrying. God gives his beloved sleep. You are not thinking you are worrying. So get the CD, please. Open your heart to God and listen to it and, and, and see what God will do um, in your life. In the book of Leviticus, there are some foods mentioned as unclean, e.g. fish, pigs, etc. My question is, does it mean we are unclean when we eat this? Okay. Again, I will explain this from, from the perspective of the law. I, I explained it using the title last week. That when this is the law, but when we say the law, whenever you see the law in scriptures, it could be five things. God could be referring to five things. When they say we are not under the law, we are not under grace, there are five laws in the Bible, or five laws that are referred to, the five things that are referred to as the law in the Bible. The first is what is known as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When it says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, you shall meditate therein day and night, so you will observe to do all that is written therein. So you make your ways prosperous and have good success. It was talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of the law. Those are the books that were, that, that's the scriptures that they had. And if you still understand that, you prosper. Then, the law, the question I was asked last week, why did Moses and Elijah show up at transfiguration? Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. So the law and the prophets in Christ are fulfilled. So the law could mean the whole Old Testament is also known as the law. So it could be first five books of the Bible, it could be the Old Testament without the prophets and the Old Testament with the prophets. So that is number two. Number three, when the Bible says the law, it could be ceremonial law. Ceremonial law of you kill this turtle dove is the, is the law of worship. When you access, access to God, you bring a lamb, you bring this and that. Those are ceremonial laws. It could be civil law. The civil law is this is how you live as a people. If somebody rapes somebody else's daughter, he must marry that girl and pay the dowry. If the father doesn't want to give the daughter away, he will still pay the dowry. Those are civil laws. Then you have the moral law. Number five. The moral law is thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, don't convert your wife, uh, your neighbor's wife, blah, 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 blah. The moral law. So when the Bible says we are not under the law, the law has been fulfilled totally. We are under grace. What law is God saying? First and foremost, it can't be the moral law. Because the moral law is God's heart. Don't kill. It's still existing today. Till today, like I say, if you don't know if it's existing, if you kill somebody, you know what will happen. 
you go to jail. The moral law, in fact, most countries derive their constitutions from the, from the Bible. The moral law exists. In Christ, the, Jesus summarized the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments into two. Love your father, love the, your Lord, your God, with all your strength, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you fulfill this, all the laws, you are fine. So Jesus reduced the moral law into two, but still the moral law. So the moral law is not extinct. The moral law still exists. It is the ceremonial law, law of access to God, that has been abolished. Why? Because Christ, if you read Hebrews 7 to 11, Christ became the sacrificial lamb. And once and for all, that sacrifice was done for us. So we don't have to come with chickens, with goats, with, with cows. The blood of bulls and, and goats cannot cleanse us but the blood of Jesus. So the ceremonial law is done away with. The civil law does not concern us. It has, that has to do with the nation of Israel. Right now, Nigeria has this law. We should obey Nigeria's civil law. So it has nothing to do with us. The Old Testament and the... Um, Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible, is it still relevant? Of course. 2 Timothy, I think, 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is, it is instructive. So these unclean animals falls under the ceremonial law and part of it, a little part, the civil law, but largely under the ceremonial law. So, can you eat pork? Please, do. If they give you pork, you don't want to eat it, bring it to the church office. <laughs> and we will work it. I took the time to explain so that we have a big picture of these things. We are not confused when they say the law, this and that, grace, law, grace. It's clear. How do I overcome laziness? What do you say? Hard work. Hey, how do I? <laughs> now, it's a very, it may look like fun, a funny question, but the truth is that the average human being is lazy. So, you better listen to the answer so that I can help you. The average human being just wants to sit down and, and eat. Who, do, who doesn't want to do that? And just relax. And somebody will be walking like slave and be feeding you. But that's not God's will for you. So how do you, how you overcome laziness? It's twofold. If you have one of them, is enough. But it's good to have the two. You overcome laziness by knowing what is chasing you. You overcome laziness, number two, by knowing what you are chasing. So, if you don't have a vision, you'll be lazy. You have no vision for your life. You don't want to be, you don't want to be significant. You will just sleep till 3 a.m., 3 p.m. And you'll be angry that nobody gave you breakfast. You have no vision for your life. If you have a vision for your life, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. That vision will, will, will wake you up. In fact, you'll be dreaming. You just want to wake up and, and drive. 
If you have only a vision, you will not be lazy. But you see, many times, many of us, we lose sight of what is chasing us. <laughs> I don't want to say some things, but I know where I'm coming from. I know where I'm coming from. From a financial standpoint, I'm not going back there. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm, I have, if I think of that, maybe I'm, trying, I'm writing software and I'm feeling tired and sleepy and I think of where I'm coming from. What happens to the sleep? It disappears. Many times you don't know what is chasing So if you know what is chasing you and you know what you are chasing, you will not be lazy. Why do people give their lives to Christ and fall astray over and over again? It's simple also. People give their life to Jesus and fall astray over and over again because they, they don't... It's one thing to have Jesus as your Savior. It's another thing to have Jesus as your Lord. It's one thing to accept Christ. It's another thing to follow Christ. They should be together, but somehow human beings have separated the two. So when you accept Christ, you should follow him. When you accept Christ and you sit down, of course, they're going to go back. But when you accept Christ and you follow him, what happens? You, you have, you, your life changes. So you, following Jesus is the answer to that. How and why do you have all the answers to this question? <laughs> By the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you, I think we should clap for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm surprised. You, you meet somebody sitting down and say, how come this guy knows the answer to it? <laughs> it's by the Holy Spirit, though. <laughs> Honestly, because of answers, I don't know them until I begin to speak. How do you develop yourself to love reading the Word of God and how do you discipline yourself to continue? Um, again, I'm going to ask you to do NCR and the second trip of the journey it will solve a whole lot of problems. However, off the bat, just create time. We talk about tuning into God. You have to create time. This time, I want to do my devotion. This time, I want to read my Bible. That's one. Two, be accountable. Be accountable. If you are struggling in that area, find a friend that you can say, oh, I want to read four chapters every day. Well, I think that's a lot, but some people can do it. You know, my wife can do it. She can read 10 chapters a day. Sometimes, I can't even read two chapters a day. Don't look at me like that. The pastor. Yes, but I'd rather take two chapters and chew it. You know, I read 20 chapters, I don't even know what I've read at the end of the day. So, that's how I am. So, find someone that you're accountable to. And that should help you in the discipline. Okay, next question. Just like God answered Abraham, sorry, just like God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, I wish your wife wasn't here. If God asked you to sacrifice your daughter, would you do it, Pastor? <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah. That's very interesting. You mean you are sitting down there, you are thinking all these things. <laughs> now, wow. 
Okay. The answer to that, eh? When we get to heaven, <laughs> we will know. But off the bat, I can tell you that God doesn't require the sacrifice of any human being anymore. He doesn't. In fact, I think we should clap for that. You know? In fact, not even anymore. He has never required it. If you check scripture from Genesis, there's nowhere that God requires human sacrifice. Not one. The human life is too precious to God. In fact, one life, as far as God is concerned, is worth more than the whole treasure of the world. Just one person's life. That's beautiful. Totally beautiful. So, the God we serve is not interested in people sacrificing. But let me modify this question. If there's a decision I need to make that um, from the logical standpoint, um, uh, I don't even know how to phrase it. If I need to obey God or make my daughter happy, I will obey God. Let's say, God forbid, if my daughter comes home with an unbeliever and he says, this is the person I love and it's clear in God's word, there's no communion with darkness, I will not join them. I'm not clapping for that. <laughs> okay, so that is, the clo- that is the closest I can correlate. But she won't do that. In Jesus' name. She will marry a godly man. Like his father. Like a father. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that is... Pastor, what does the Bible teach about divorce? Well, the Bible says marriage is for life. God hates divorce. That's what the Bible teaches about divorce. God doesn't love divorce. So, if the follow-up to this is, so, under what, is there any, under, any circumstance by which divorce is permissible with God? The answer would be absolutely yes. You know, when the person, God says that don't divorce your wife or your husband except for the case of adultery. So, if the person is in a perpetual, I would say perpetual adultery, but adultery, can you forgive the person? Yes, and you should seek forgiveness. However, can adultery be a ground of divorce? The answer is yes, absolutely. You are not holier than Jesus. Jesus was clear about that. That is one. Number two, if the person doesn't share your faith, should you divorce the person? No. The Bible says that if the unbeliever wants to stay with you, stay with them. Don't divorce someone because he doesn't share your faith. But the Bible says that if the unbeliever departs, let him what? Let him depart. So which means if the unbeliever forsakes you, you are free. Then the believer is not um, bound. So under those two circumstances, um, divorce can happen. Is baptism necessary for salvation? No. What about infant baptism? Not baptism at all. Infant baptism is not, not baptism. They're just sprinkling water on the child. Is everything God 
If everything God created was good, who created the devil? If everything God created was good, who created the devil? God. So how come the devil is bad and some people are bad? It's simple. God created us to choose. So God gave us the power to choose, which is, which is why worship is meaningful to God. Because we chose to worship him. We choose him over other things. That's why, so if, if we're robots, then worship is meaningless if we didn't have to choose. So evil exists because men, and of course in this case Lucifer, chose to disobey God. Praise the Lord. Should I tithe to the church I attend or to my village church? The answer is tithe to the church you attend. Tithe to the church you attend, not your village church. You can support your village church. Is that scriptural? Of course. You tithe to where you are fed spiritually. That is where your tithe. So if you, if you divide, what if I divide? Some people divide their tithe. It's not tithe anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, that's why you can divide your tithe and heaven still sees you as a robber. Yeah. I know there's a lot of discussions around this. That's okay. What about the churches in the city? Don't support the churches in the villages and all that stuff. Honestly, God is the supplier of every church. God is the source of every church. Should churches be responsible and help each other? Of course, absolutely. But any church that exists thinking some other church will help them, they've gotten it wrong. It's just like somebody, people, there are some people that feel that they deserve to be helped because you are wealthy. Don't you know that? They feel you should. You are just wasting your money. In fact, there was a man that said to a pastor that sent to um, Dr. Mensah Otterbill, there was a younger pastor, he said to Dr. Mensah Otterbill that, that he went to his office and said to him that he's wasteful with God's resources. And the man was shocked. And Mensah Otterbill says, why, why would you say that? He said to Otterbill that if he had as half as much resources as Otterbill had, the evangelism he would do, that God has called him to the, to to, to save souls. Otterbill says he didn't, he didn't say anything. He just shook his head and he told the guy, okay, he, told, he said he told the guy that God is not prodigal with his resources. If God thought you could, you're a better steward. <laughs> Why? He will give you. But don't worry, just be faithful. And he sent him away. So when I was listening, I said, and you didn't give him a slap. You are very patient. Anyway, Otterbill says that the last time he checked, this guy was sending spare parts. He's abandoned the ministry. You know, because if you think that one man, some one deep pocket rich man is going to support you, you're wasting your time. In fact, you will not see good when he's coming. The Bible says cost is the person that looks up to man. For what? For help. Because he will not see good when it's coming. So, that's the answer to that. Oof. Do we have more questions? It's looking like part three. Uh, it's looking like part three. 
Okay. I'll just take two or three and we close. Then, even though I wanted us to start a new series next week, but we will, this is a lot. We will do part three next week, by God's grace. You are happy about that. It's like you like this QRDO. Okay. What you're, what you're just telling me is that we prefer it to your teaching. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I get you, I get you. Maybe this is the wind that the Lord is blowing right now. Because people may have burning issues that he wants to answer. So I get it. I was just joking. Okay? He says, I have two questions here. I often pray within me that is in my heart before going to bed. Is it necessary? Is it necessary that one must pray out loud? Hope is still accept, acceptable. Question number two. It's really noted that the devil understands languages. When prayed, praying with your native dialect, English, and other, other than the praying in the Holy Ghost, does the devil read our intentions when we pray in our hearts? Okay, those are interesting questions. Should I pray out loud? There are different types of prayer. You know, that's there's prayer of communion. Prayer of communion can be in your heart with God. You don't need to say anything. You can commune with God. There's prayer of agreement. Prayer of agreement, there are only somebody's hands. Let's agree on the matter. You don't pray out. What are you agreeing on? Do you understand? You have to verbalize. There's supplication. Supplication, you have to make your request known. You have to verbalize. There's intercession. Intercession, you have supplication on behalf of another. You have to open your mouth and speak. There's warfare. In warfare, <laughs> you better speak out. <laughs> um, there's thanksgiving there's prayer of thanksgiving thanksgiving gratitude that is not expressed is not useful to anybody there is prayer of which other one there are different types of prayer so it's the type of prayer that determines what you say but basically when the disciples of Jesus the Bible says the disciples of Jesus they went to Jesus and they said teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples and Jesus said when you pray say our Father. Jesus did not say when you pray, think. Did you hear me think our Father now? Or whisper or mutter. He said, say, speak, speak. So, I hope that helps. Um, praying in the Holy Spirit short-circuits even your understanding. Except the Holy Spirit gives you an interpretation. Obviously, short-circuits the enemy, largely. But there's the A-level part of it. But take it like that. It does. So, can the enemy read your intention, our intentions when we pray? Not necessarily. But sometimes we give ourselves away when we are... Um, um, when we, there's something you really don't want the devil to hear. I don't know. I've never been in that situation, yeah? when, when there's something I really don't want the devil to hear. Let him hear now. If he hears it, go... I'm talking to my father. If I speak in understanding, if he hears, he will see it. And it will happen. Do you understand? So, don't approach prayer with fear. Oh, the devil may be listening, no? The devil may be listening. No! Approach, the Bible says we should come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of, of need. Pastor, you are doing a master class and you selected some young men and some young women. 
Is that not partiality? <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll ask Pastor David to answer that. Okay, let's put our hands together for the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. Why she's coming, I'll take a question. Keep happy, keep happy, keep happy, keep happy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, climb up now. Come on. Keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shoot. Good evening. Good evening. Praise God. Okay. Um, someone asked me about this same question over um, Sunday service. And what I told the person was, the people that were selected for the master class, um, she was concerned that she wasn't among them. And I was like, you can choose your perspective. I looked at it like, okay, maybe God revealed it to pastor that these people may need um, encouragement at this time based on what they are going through or what they are expecting God to do. And that her case, God has already done it and she's waiting for the manifestation. So she may not be among the group of people that need to be encouraged. I also told her that you can look at it like this is their time. My time will come. So as pastor is leading these people, it's the first group. It's a test group. When he's doing the second one, he would have had more experience. He would have had more knowledge. And so you benefit, it, benefit more from it coming after this session. So that was what I said. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Let's, yeah, let's clap well now. Ah, come on. <laughs> so, so basically, there's no, just sit as, um, they are the ones that you, you are, you are above it, you are, you are fine, you know. These are the people that, Jesus says, I came for the sick. I'm not saying they are sick. That's a good way to look at it. Okay. So, <clears throat> I'll take these two and we will... Let me just this one. I will close. It says, good evening, pastor. A friend got a project for me. Access control. I had to execute the deal. He's expecting to share the fee, 50%. My question is, do I share the cost 50-50 costs bracket profit when I executed the deal alone, knowing I did the project alone? I feel, gu- <laughs> I feel guilty about not giving him what he wants. But guy, you don't want to give him. Well, let me just say this. These things should be agreed up front. It's not after. Don't, it shows you you're not a good business person. You don't wait until after the deal has been executed before you are wondering, is it 50-50 cost or revenue or 50-50 profit, you know? No, you should have agreed up front. But if you haven't, then you negotiate with him and say that this is how much it costs us to do it. This is the profit. This profit, let's share it. 
Do you think it should be 50-50? If he thinks it should be 50-50, and he reminds you of your discussion that it was 50-50, then do it 50-50 and learn from that project so that the next project you are wiser. Okay? Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Oh.